three, two, one. All right. Welcome to the Abstract Podcast. This is Greg Refner, CEO and founder of Abstract, and Carlos Noche, Vice President at Visualize. Carlos, please say hi. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining. I appreciate it. Um, so before we kind of dive into our, our topic today, which is value selling is not just about sales, um, I, I really want to start with a definition, if you will, because I think value selling prior to me meeting you probably meant something different than the way you define value selling. Um, so I'd love if we started with kind of your definition and maybe it's visualizes definition of value selling, but kind of let's lay a foundation of understanding so that we kind of have a, a groundwork to, to build off of for the rest of our time together. That sound good, Carlos? Sounds great, Greg. And thanks for having me. Value selling, you're right, means a lot of things to a lot of people. For us, it really is what we call a value selling framework. That's what we call it. It's a framework in the way you engage individuals in conversation. If, it, if I had to do it all over again, and if I had to say in it, I would probably call it a communication framework because okay. it's really about engaging individuals. They're the ones that make buying decisions and truly trying to understand and align to their buyer's journey, right? What is the information they need and we need for them to ultimately make a buying decision, achieve a measurable outcome? In fact, I mean, let me give you two just avenues of it. If you think about technology companies today, right? You think about software as a service or computing, folks, the good news is we made it easy for them to buy. Hey, great product. I love it. I'll sign up. If they don't see a value, we've also made it easy for them to switch. So when we think about qualifying a deal, working a deal, closing a deal, and ultimately driving a happy customer, driving engagement, driving enrollment to get a renewal later. It's all about this communication framework behind the scenes that we need to drive it. And if for any other industry, it's the same thing we, I've found over the years. You know, their buyers are asking themselves four things. First one, should I buy? The whole why change, why change now, and why change with you? Number two, is it really even worth it to change? Not only financially what it costs, but also the risk of change to me personally, right? Number three, can I buy? Do I have the authority or who else do I need to get on the boat with me to do things? Big, large corporation, they're going to have more players. But even a small company where you're the individual owner, you run the purse strings, you want other people to be bought in for you to ultimately have an outcome. Yep. And the last one, which is really important is, hey, Am I convinced? They all sound good. They all seem to do it. Hey, what steps, proof points am I going to do through the evaluation? And what is the timing to, you know, what happens afterwards? How do I go live? Making this really end in value realization. That is what customers ultimately want. And if you think about what we sell, that's what we want. If they get value, they're going to renew. They're going to continue working with us. They're going to be referenced for us in other areas. I love that. Okay. A couple of things I want to drill down into on that topic. So um, you mentioned like, you know, people buy from people, right? It's like, it's a, it's Sally, the marketing director or John, the VP of sales, right. That you're, that you're selling to. Um, one of the things that I've seen in my sales career, Carlos, and I'd love your perspective on this and maybe how your communication framework maybe aids as a, a way to bridge this gap. But you have like, you know, 
CEO of company say, we need to, you know, do account-based sales and accounts-based marketing, whatever buzzword acronym we want to use today. But ultimately the sales team realizes I'm selling to John first. I need to make them my champion. And how do we start to bridge that gap between like an understanding that the customer, and I'm using air quotes here, renews, right? The customer, the vendor that you're paying, that's paying you, like pays the bill. But it's ultimately John, Susie, Sally, whoever that, that end up doing the buying and end up using the product. And so how does the communication framework kind of tie that together so that we don't get, we don't lose the fact that we're still selling to people? Great question. So one of the tools that we have is called a value prompter. In prospecting, it's, it's our prospecting prompter. And I bring it up, not to sell it to you all, but to, the first field on it is contact, individual. And if I was prospecting, it would be role in industry. So either I'm prospecting to VP of marketing, director of HR, manager in IT, <laughs> and maybe by industry. And if you really want to even go a step further, you can go by size of organization. And then it, once you engage in an account, hey, I'm working with Sally. She's the VP of HR. And I want to try to uncover data such as, hey, you know, the why change, why change now? What's that critical business driver that's really driving the organization's need to actually change what they currently do? Or do I, can I uncover one that creates urgency because she may not even know I could solve problems that she has? Yeah. Yes, you may and then it drives it. into the problem, solution, value, power, and plan. But you get the idea, it starts with individuals. The problem is people try to do it for an account or an opportunity. Yeah. And Greg, that's what you're talking about. We blend everything together, assuming everyone's the same. Yeah. And they're not, right? Um, they're definitely not. So great. I love that. Um, you know, looking at your career and the success you've had, Carlos, you probably could have gone anywhere. Like why, why did this concept of value selling align to you personally so well? And kind of, I'm going to do what I always tell my reps not to do. I'm going to ask two questions at once. Um, but like, you know, how have you seen that impact your life personally? And, you know, we'll kind of leave it with two questions and I won't break the rule of three questions at once. So uh, since probably no one's listening to this right now, I'll let you in on a secret. Um, when I got out of college, I studied accounting. <laughs> and if anybody really knows me, I don't really don't have the personality of an accountant. No offense. But my, once I, after my first year of being a staff accountant, I switched to accounting software. And my okay. standard joke was, I'm a creative guy. Creative accounting usually equals fraud. So here I am. So career <laughs> path-wise, I didn't take the normal path, I think, sometimes. Uh, I'm also not the pushy cutthroat salesperson. Again, not trying to offend anybody, but we've all seen them out there. They might be awesome in certain situations. That's just not my personality. So value selling really related to me because hey, at the core of it, Greg, it's really about helping people. So, hey, if we engage before we talk about my products, my services, I want to try to understand more about you, your business, and your current situation. If I can help you, great. If I can't, I won't waste your time or mine, right? Um, that's what kind of got me into this whole sales path. 
I did okay. software sales for 20 years. I was VP, global VP of sales and service. And about 13 years ago, I took a sidestep to do this value selling training, which honestly, I thought I was going to do for a year. Here I am almost 13 years later because I really do love what I do most days, but I do love what I do. I love helping people. I love the positive reaction. Now, what was the last part? Like, why did value selling work for me? Yeah. Why does this, you know, why does it continue to work for you, Carlos? So um, first off, no joke, I use it every day to sell our services into accounts. I follow my framework. Even when people ask me to come in and talk about something, I follow my framework. Why? It gets me the information I need to truly help someone versus just pitching them, which is a pet peeve for me, right? Nobody wants to be pitched. All right. So um, I will also tell you, you know, even when I was a worldwide VP and I say, hey, I've been through 11 different programs. Here's the framework I do to engage with someone. And here are the three main reasons I did. It's simple. I am not that smart of a guy. If it's too complex and and heavy handed, it's just not going to continue to work for me. Two, it worked. I would never have been global VP of sales and services without having a way to really diagnose opportunities, figure out the gaps, get people on it to do something about it and win. It created a lot more credibility and more um, accuracy in my forecasting. And it really helped propel my career. Number three, kind of going back to the simple, hey, look, I joke about, I can explain this on a napkin in a bar in Mexico City to a partner. (laughs) It does not have to be so complex. If you think of it from a perspective of people's buying decisions, not on beating them over the head and getting them to, you know, just trying to get them to sell them something. I love that. So going back to like, you start with the person and this the whole concept is going back to the buyer and, and being aware of the buyer's journey, not fitting them into the mold of how you want to sell. Um, so that's a great reminder because I think that's something we often forget about. We want to tailor the sales process to how we want to sell with very little understanding of how the buyer actually wants to buy. And so I love that. And being relatable because you like, when you believe in something and when you've been personally impacted by something, it is so much easier to sell because that passion shines through your voice and your body language and your tone and your pitch, right? And so I, I can imagine selling your guys' services is very easy for you because you believe so much in it. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, sometimes we laugh in a workshop and it's like, well, obviously it works. You sold our leadership. <laughs> and he asked me, can you walk me through what you did? And I go, it's really simple. I got this cool thing called this value selling framework. <laughs> and I go, I followed it. And you can get their leaders. I, I did one deal. Uh, there's one executive, which is multiple, but there's one executive I have worked at three different accounts. Okay. And when he went to this, the third company, he basically called me up because, hey, Carlos, we're going to do it again. No need to sell me. We've worked together. We've got, been through 15 workshops together. I got it. And I said, hey, I get it. His name was Kevin. Kevin, can we can you at least share a couple of facts with me? Like, what's driving this? Tell me about the organization. Who else will be involved? Well, I got a new VP of sales. Can I interview him? And I go, Kevin, at the end of the day, you don't want it to be your program. You want it to be their program. And Greg, I can tell you, yes, I still won the deal. But it went from something that, hey, we're going to do this in Q2 to, no, 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 we got to do this in Q1 as part of our kickoff because that VP of sales says, I can't wait. So 
the, the process worked for me. And it's it, when it doesn't work, I look back and I go, I didn't have this. I didn't have access to power. I didn't have a good critical, compelling reason why they were going to change business issue. I didn't differentiate myself, right? I allowed myself to become commoditized. Though all those little aspects are usually what bites you in the butt later on. I love that. You can do a postmortem. And usually, I mean, good sales professionals can look back at a deal and go, yep, I know why I lost this deal, right? And having that communication framework to follow along um, is just, I know a lot of reps who are like, oh, I, I know what I'm doing. I've been doing this 10 years. And you go, okay, well, do you win 100% of your deals? Well, well no, I, I only win 25% of my deals. Okay, well, maybe well, let's go back and what are we missing, right? You know, did you not get enough sleep the night before? And did you forget to ask a question? And that question is, you know, clearly articulated in your framework you're supposed to follow, you know, but that framework never made its way out to your desk. You know, why not? Um, so it's, uh, we can, we all can always be improving and none of us are perfect. So having guidance every step of the way is so fundamental to success in sales. So I'm a big believer in that. So thank you for pointing that out. It's kind of like athletes. I mean, imagine if you've been playing ball your, your entire life since you're a little kid. When you hit the pros, would you go, hey, I don't need practice. I've been doing this my entire life. I don't need to figure out the playbook. I don't need to go practice a pass. I got it. You would never think that. Same thing with being a musical, you know, playing a musical instrument, being part of a band. It, it takes practice and discipline in what we do. And um, sales professionals that are serious about their profession are constantly looking to get better. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's uh, open this up a little bit outside of just sales. So what I think was interesting for me when I was looking at Visualize's website was the fact that you know value selling seems to be applicable kind of interdepartmental, right? Product management, maybe some sales engineering, even maybe a channel sales motion. Um, and I don't think I've ever come across like a sales consultant services type firm that actually ties in the other parts of the business. Like, how does that work for, for what you guys do? Well, this is part of the secret sauce. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> in today's day and age, and you run your own organization, we need marketing, sales, service, pre-sales, uh, business development, um, they all need to be on the same page. Now, it's not that we need a script. In fact, Gang.io did some research. What makes the most successful companies out there? And one of the stats they came back with was consistency. Well, now, how do you do it? <laughs> it, it can't be just forced on them. And it's got to be something that evolves over time, too. So what if we provided them a framework? And let's just think about this as the key information that we're trying to uncover. Hey, who buys? Why do they buy? In what situations? How do they differentiate? How do they justify the purchase, both from a business and a personal perspective? Who else needs to get involved? What are the steps and processes we got to do to make it happen? Well, hey, marketing would love to know that because they want to put that in their messaging and in their success stories. Hey, Product marketing, product management would love to know that because they want to know, hey, what features are people asking for? What's got the biggest impact? Do we do feature A or feature B? Because we can't do it all and we have to time these things out. You get into business development sales, it starts, you know, if I know a structure of what a prospect would look like, it's much easier to prospect into them and I can have predefined questions 
in order to get that VP of X or the manager of Y to actually engage. Oh, we close the sale. Ah, oh, it's all over. We pop the champagne. Uh, not these days. We got a services team. They got to get them up and running. And we got a, 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 a customer success team that needs to drive adoption. Guess what they want to know? Who'd you sell to? Why'd they buy? What, what differentiated? What was the timing? How did, you know, what was the impact we want to have? Especially when, let's face it, the team you sell to is not always the team that implements. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's yeah. why, uh, you know, it's actually, I don't know if it was an original thought 20 years ago when Lloyd came up with value selling, but the framework itself becomes a communication framework that you can drive across all these different departments. And Greg, the accounts that I've had that really opened their eyes to that have had huge success because now I have, you know, sales engineering pushing sales to get, hey, we need to do more discovery. I don't know enough to do a custom demo. We got services going, yeah, you, you ain't getting that SOW. I need these contact points to really be able to get me real pricing. And marketing can not only help on the front end, but they're at the back end as well, because it's really a loop, right? If you think about selling, we, we want them to buy and buy again. Yep. Yep. Every month we need them to buy again. We need them to buy more. So yep. I, I love that you guys are, are thinking about that as you're going into your accounts, trying to get all the departments to work together because it really is kind of all hands on deck, right? Because there's so much involved in selling software today. And there's so many competitors and markets changing. Like you just, you need everybody on the same page. And so when everybody's using the same language internally, it just makes things so much easier to make changes and drive that consistency, which is what everybody's looking for. So I love that you guys think about that. Um, kind of wrapping up with a couple last couple of questions. So you guys have your qualified prospects formula. Um, and I know it's kind of part of the secret sauce at Visualize, so I won't ask you to kind of drill down into the details of that. But What's the number one mistake that companies make when trying to like qualify their pipeline and how does the way you guys go about generating your qualified prospect formula start to fix that? So um, number one mistake, I mean, there's, there's always a, a couple of them, but let's face it. I think the number one mistake is not having a clear definition or understanding of what really is qualified. And I know everybody's going to throw up, hey, here's my qualification criteria. But we could ask 10 people, Greg, we're going to get 10 definitions of what that means. So if we align our, if we do a couple of things, one is realize that qualification is not something that happens in stage one. It's something that happens consistently throughout the whole project. <laughs> that's so true. Okay. So, but okay, well, Carlos, that's great, but I'm at stage one. All right, so let's talk about we get the MQL. We're trying to turn it into a lead. We're trying to turn it into the stage one type of opportunity. Hey, what key elements of information do we need? And then as I work the deal, they should evolve and grow over time. I should be able to create four main components. So I have a, a differentiated vision match. The whole why change, why change now, why change with us? Did I uncover enough measurable business value and personal value. You, if you believe in creating champions, it, it's got to be in their best interest to be a champion. That's what personal value is all about. Right. Two more, power, who's involved? 
not just our champion or someone that signs the contract, but are all who all the people who could say yes or no to our deal, including procurement, security review, legal, so that we could truly understand the process behind to get this thing signed. I joke, getting a technical win is half the battle. Getting it to signature is the other half, right? Hey, last part, we call it a plan, but basically the timing, the when, the steps. What are we going to do to convince them? You know, we we do a discovery, we do these initial calls, we might do a presentation, we go over architecture. Hey, these are all proof points, steps in the process. Instead of just planning one at a time, if we know why people buy from us and what are the key steps they should be doing, shouldn't we have those outlined and work with our clients as, hey, here's the process we follow. And by the way, the biggest mistake at the end of this process, it should not be a closed plan. I have not met a buyer that says, oh my God, I'm just so excited for you to close me. <laughs> right? It, we call it a mutual plan because it should end in value realization. In other words, we do these steps to evaluate. You make a decision somewhere in the middle. We kick this project off. We go live and that's not it. We get to value realization. And if we have our customer success folks focus on that value realization and checking in over time, even when we miss, we'll get another chance to really course correct before that renewal comes up, which is so critical in today's business. So I want to touch on one, one point in there. Um, kind of mentioned about the technical win is only 50% getting the contract signs, the other 50%. It's been a harsh reality that I've, I've kind of learned in my sales career that you, know, you might have eight people. You might have your CRO, your VP, your director, your sales managers, and then you might have like your lone SDR over in the corner who, you know, is new to the team and you never address them or her. Um, and at the end of the day, you don't win the deal. And you realize that like them as an end user was the most important part of the thing that you missed, right? Um, they weren't happy with the way it was going to fit into their day. Or, um, you know, I just, I think that kind of having a map, a plan to address all the different stakeholders or the, the power in the room, understanding where that power truly lies. I think sales professionals sometimes make some wrong assumptions based upon things like title or seniority, and um, they don't drill down into kind of all the different players possible that could kind of say yes, thumbs up to that deal. So kind of we'll wrap with one uh, kind of maybe tip or trick, Carlos, that you've learned to help understand like what, if I'm a sales rep, how do I understand who really has the power in the room? So there's a, a number of different tactics, Greg, that we can try to do around this. I think my, the first one, my question though is, is no matter who I'm talking to, hey, am I talking to the manager, the director, the VP, the business owner, IT? Hey, who besides yourself would need to be involved to make this project happen, right? And I'm not trying to disrespect anyone. I'm trying to truly understand who are all the individuals. Greg, kind of going back to your point. So sometimes I'll, even if I'm talking to a VP of sales, VP of ops, and they're like, we're doing this, Carlos. I go, hey, one of my next steps, can we pick a couple of your managers and a couple of your best reps to interview as part of this evaluation process? Because you're going to want them to champion your cause afterwards. 
So when you start rolling this out, they go, man, I was involved in the decision. I am so excited to have Greg join us, right? So when you think about uncovering power, hey, ask to engage with folks. You know, I call them interviews. They're just really discovery calls to try to get their perspective. It's all about getting alignment. I could say, hey, Greg, I, I met with John and Frank and Harry. Here's what they told me was driving the project. Here's what they told me some of the key challenges. What do you think, Greg? Is it the same for you? Is it something different? I mean, you're looking at this from a different perspective. What do you think is the number one challenge? Yeah, I love that. In the back of my mind, Carlos, I instantly think like, I don't want to add length to my sales cycle. Why would I add more more stakeholders to to the process? You got to kind of be confident though, right? And just know that like this, that... Work the process, trust the process, and 99% of the time, it's going to work in your favor, right? So, Greg, that bottom point is so key. I've gotten that pushback multiple times. And I go, hey, sometimes we got to slow down to speed up. How many end of quarter forecast calls have we been on where you start finding out, oh, we never talked to the business owners. Oh, I didn't know there was going to be a security review. Oh, the, the main decision maker, they're on vacation for two weeks. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've, I've made those mistakes in my career. I have. I mean, there's a million and one, right? I go right back to the framework and I go, you know, if you were to just ask these questions, because selling is all about asking questions, not pitching and making statements earlier on the deal versus assuming, our sales cycle could actually be less. I mean, you look at slip deals. Number one reason we find is lack of a mutual agreed on plan of steps. You know, you might think you want it to close at the end of the quarter. They have no reason why it needs to close at the end of your quarter. Yeah. They, your timeline doesn't matter to them. Correct. All right. And discount is not a reason. Nope. That's an incentive, <laughs> but the timing has to, to line up well. So. You got it. In fact, I would argue you would have to give less discounts if you could tie to their timeline and a better forecast of accuracy. So yeah. I agree with you, Greg. Sometimes like, hey, I don't want to slow this down. I don't want to ask questions because I'm afraid about what the answer might be. Yeah. But hey, it's either going to bite it, it bite you now or bite you later. <laughs> I'd rather know odds now. odds are it is not going to just pass over. That's why you ask these either specific questions you're trying to uncover on every deal. And I mean, hey, good news. They may say, no, we're not going to have to do that. Yeah. I mean, you might actually get information that accelerates your deal, right? Yeah, yep. absolutely. But well, my gut is they usually don't They usually don't buy software every day or technology or whatever we're selling every day. And they sometimes don't know themselves. That's why we need to be the professionals and have a framework and process to follow. I love that. That's a good reminder. That's a... Uh... I'll write that down on a sticky note and stick it to my computer because I need to remember that from time to time too. So Carlos, this has been awesome. Uh, anybody that wants to get in touch with you, learn more about kind of you and, and visualize what's the best way to get in touch with you, Carlos. Okay. So um, you can of course visit our website, visualize.com. Try to make it simple on purpose. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn. I purposely try to uh, push data or content out of value every week because I'm trying to, you know, help my own network get something of value for me. And hey, if anybody ever wants to reach out, my email is pretty simple, carlos at visualize.com. But uh, I'd love to hear from you, even if you just want to chat through a situation, helping others makes it, you know, it's what makes life worth it. I love it. Well, I appreciate your time today. This was awesome. I got some good reminders. And um, 
you know, kind of my biggest takeaway is value selling doesn't necessarily need to be kind of value selling framework or more just a communication framework, right? Because ultimately that's all we're doing is communicating human to human and we can make it super simple when we think about it that way. So appreciate the insights today. Thank you for your time and uh, look forward to talking to you again soon, Carlos. Thank you, Greg. Bye.